the Cannabis Heals Me podcast, episode 16. You're listening to the Cannabis Heals Me podcast, where we explore the real stories of real people who have discovered the profound healing properties of the cannabis plant in their own lives. Find more at CannabisHealsMe.com. The Cannabis Heals Me podcast is brought to you by The Grow CFO. For all your cannabis accounting and tax needs, find out more information at www.thegrowcfo.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Cannabis Heals Me podcast. This is your host, Rachel Kennerly, coming to you once again from the Storybook in Studios. And we have an incredible bonus episode for you today. It's not a healing story, so that's why we've made it into a bonus episode, but I think you're going to enjoy it anyway, especially if you live in the state of Texas. And if you don't, I'm sorry, I will give you a full refund for what you paid to listen to the podcast today, if at the end of it, you don't like it. Probably my favorite thing about having a podcast is that I get to reach out to people who I know are super busy and have lots going on, and I ask them, hey, do you mind coming on the show to talk to people about blah, blah, blah? And they actually say yes. So it's pretty awesome. And today we're going to be joined by Heather Fazio. She is with Texans for Responsible Marijuana Policy. They are a group doing a lot of great work down in Austin where there have been, as of today's recording, over 40 bills introduced related to cannabis for this legislative session. So she's coming on the podcast to give us a little update of how things are going and what prospects look like for an expansion of the Compassionate Use Program, and then also some decriminalization bills that look like they might have a possibility of making it to the floor for a vote. Heather, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. It is an exciting time to be an advocate for marijuana law reform in Texas. I'll tell you what, uh, so much going on at the Capitol, uh, shifting perspectives in the general public as well as lawmakers. So we're very optimistic. 2019 is the year we're going to be able to get meaningful reform across the finish line in our state. That's incredible. There have been, what, 37 bills that have been offered up so far? Well, looking at the the emails that I got from last night, we're well over 40 now, actually close to 45. Wow. Yeah, record-setting number of marijuana-related bills that have been filed, demonstrating just how much enthusiasm there is, how much dialogue there is happening at the Capitol about, you know, not so much if we should do it anymore. That's not the question, but how do we do it? How do we do it in a way that's right for Texas? And that's what we're seeing with these bills that have been introduced uh, with lawmakers. Is there a concern with this many bills being introduced that, you know, some of the better ones might get lost in the shuffle or that there's too much, too much information available to lawmakers? Well, there certainly is, uh, you know, the uh, good and bad associated with having so many bills. Overall, uh, the bottom line is that we can't control what people file. Uh, We've been working with lawmakers, demonstrating the need for having reform, and they're so enthusiastic about it, they're filing lots of bills, and that's a good thing. Uh, Would it be better if we all just had one really great medical marijuana bill, one really great decriminalization bill? 
to rally behind, sure, that could be beneficial. But there's also, you know, it's okay the way that it is. And what we need to do is demonstrate the type of policy we want to see enacted and why doing things in a certain way is the best approach. You know, for example, when it comes to decriminalization, what is the best approach to doing that? Do we make it less of a crime with a Class C misdemeanor or do we make it a civil penalty where there's no threat of a criminal record? Uh, Those are the the issues that we have to work through. And our job as advocates, all of us throughout the state that want to see these laws changed, is really focusing on the aspects of the policy that need to be in there. Our priorities are eliminating the threat of arrest, jail time, and most importantly, that criminal record that's currently associated with small amounts of marijuana. Yeah, I think that's a great a great way to focus efforts. It's almost like incrementalism will take every little chunk that we can get. Well, you know, that's how it works at the Capitol. It, it's uh, about finding common ground, and what we've been able to do is find common ground on reducing penalties. You know, I've heard people talk about this effort and in the terms of baby steps, but when you look at the fact that Texas arrests tens of thousands of people annually, in fact, it was 66,000 people in 2017 alone. Wow. This is a significant benefit passing this bill does. It keeps all of these people out of the criminal justice system. It keeps resources focused on what it should be focused on, which is, victims of real crime, facilitating justice in those instances. So I don't look at this as a baby step. I look at this as a significant step that Texas can take to institute a policy that's sensible, that preserves valuable criminal justice resources and keeps people in school, keeps them in the workforce and keeps them with their families. That's great. Now, there was a hearing on Monday for House Bill 63. That's right. The Criminal Jurisprudence Committee considered House Bill 63, which was introduced by Representative Joe Moody. He's a former prosecutor from El Paso, and he has earned bipartisan support on this piece of legislation, which enacts a civil penalty rather than criminal penalties for low-level marijuana possession. It would make it a simple uh, citation and a fine with no arrest, no jail time, and no criminal record. And that's for amounts less than two ounces, is that right? That's up to one ounce, okay. which is, you know, the vast majority of those arrested are for under an ounce. In fact, Representative Moody, when laying out his bill, says that the average amount that people are arrested for is a third of an ounce. You know, we're wow. seeing so many people being arrested for tiny amounts of marijuana, and that's exactly what we're trying to change here. You know, during the hearing, we heard from lots of we heard from uh, many members of the law enforcement communities on both sides of this issue. We saw law enforcement officers, three of them, testifying against the bill, and we saw uh, several uh, judges, former prosecutors, an addiction psychiatrist victims of uh, arrests for marijuana possession, all testifying in support of the bill, uh, demonstrating that there's there's really a strong support from all parts of the community in Texas, even law enforcement, which seems to be the biggest opponent that we have to face at the Capitol. Yeah. What has been the feedback from the representatives that you've spoken to? Are they getting a lot of calls or emails or letters from constituents? 
Uh, they certainly are. People around Texas have been contacting their legislators uh, really nonstop since the last legislative session. And that's the kind of consistent momentum it takes to get meaningful reform across the finish line here during the legislative session. You know, in politics in Texas, we're on a two year cycle mm -hmm. and it's a marathon. And right now we're in the sprint portion of that marathon where we have a limited amount of time to pass legislation. The deadline for the legislative session is May 27th. And if we do not get a bill passed by that time, we don't have another shot at this until 2021. Wow. So there is incredible urgency for those throughout the state who support this issue, continuing to contact their legislators, send a quick email, make a quick phone call. It really goes a long way for them to be hearing from their constituents on this issue, whether it's decriminalizing small amounts like we've talked about, or expanding the compassionate use program, which is currently limited to those with intractable epilepsy, mm -hmm. but really should be more inclusive, including those with cancer, PTSD, multiple sclerosis, Alzheimer's, Crohn's disease, all of these conditions that people are using cannabis to treat in other states. We have 33 states throughout the nation that allow safe and legal patient access to medical marijuana. Yet in Texas, we are denied that freedom. And we have work to do as advocates, uh, but luckily things are coming along. It's gonna get harder as we get closer to winning. And so we need all hands on deck. Everyone who supports this reform, contacting their legislators and including their neighbors and friends and family on social media posts, encouraging them to do so. Uh, getting flooding the Capitol with calls and emails really is a great way to demonstrate this is a grassroots movement. Yeah. There are so many people of all different political persuasions that are in favor, and now is the time for reform. Which is the most effective way to, to contact your legislator? Is it calls? Is it emails? Do you call the Austin office? Do you call the local office? Which, which seems to get the best response? All of the above. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's something for everyone. Not everyone is going to be comfortable making a phone call and talking with their senator's office or representative. And that's okay. That means that maybe sending an email is the right thing for you to do. Maybe handwriting a short note and sending it into their capital office address, which you can find online. Uh, that'll go a long way. If you are comfortable making the phone call, you can keep it short and sweet. Tell them who you are, where you're from, and that you want them to support House Bill 63, for example, that you want them to make marijuana law reform a priority this legislative session. Thank them for their service and tell them to have a nice day. You can keep it very short. But if you have a professional or personal story mm -hmm. experience that you can share, take time to talk to them about that. You know, if you worked in law enforcement or as a lawyer, seeing how these cases unreasonably clog our courts and distract law enforcement, let's focus on that. If you were arrested and it had an effect on your financial aid or ability to get a job that you were otherwise qualified for, mention that as well. Uh, there's a lot for each of us to do and within our comfort levels. So I would also recommend if you do have personal or professional experience, consider visiting the district office. You know, not only do legislators have a, an office in Austin at the Capitol, many of them have district offices right there in your area where you can call their office, schedule a time to come in and chat, Expect, I don't know, a 15 or 20 minute meeting to introduce yourself, to talk about the issue, bring some resources, uh, backing up why you support this kind of reform and look at it as a relationship building. Yeah. You know, these folks represent you. Uh, that's what they're supposed to do anyway. And they can't do it if they don't know you. 
So looking at this as making sure that your opinion is known on this issue, that this is a, a matter of good government policy. It's a matter of positively affecting individuals' lives and families, building strong communities, and preserving valuable criminal justice resources. That's a good idea. I'd never thought about going to the local office. And, you know, Austin is quite a stretch from where I'm at. Exactly. And we have to make sure we're utilizing all the resources we have. And during this legislative session, if you can't make it to the Capitol, getting into that district office really goes a long way. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great idea. Now, the way Texas is set up, it's not like, you know, like in Oklahoma, they put a, a something on the ballot and people voted on it. But that's not the way it works in Texas to get legislation passed, correct? That's right. In Texas, we don't have the opportunity to collect signatures and place a question on the ballot. Instead, we rely on our lawmakers to introduce legislation and pass it during the legislative session, which happens every two years in Texas. So we're in the middle of a really great opportunity to work with lawmakers who have passed these dozens of marijuana bills and get something meaningful passed this year. Of the 40-some-odd bills that have been introduced, what are your favorites? Well, we've got two priorities. One is reducing penalties for low-level possession. Mm -hmm. The other is making the compassionate use program more inclusive. And to that end, we are working on four different bills, two in the House, two in the Senate, and one on each subject in each chamber. So in the House, we have Representative Moody's House Bill 63. Mm -hmm. This will institute a civil penalty for low-level possession, making it a $200 fine, $250 fine, excuse me, but no arrest, no jail time, no criminal record. There's a companion to that bill in the Senate. It's Senate Bill 156, introduced by Senator Jose Rodriguez, who also is from El Paso. And on the medical side, in the House, we have Representative Lucio's House Bill 1365, which adds a host of conditions to those that qualify for the compassionate use program. It lifts the arbitrary cap on THC. Currently, only low THC cannabis is available. And we'd like to see doctors and patients deciding which strains of cannabis, which levels of various cannabinoids are going to be available to that patient. Uh, There are a couple other technical changes as well. And those changes are also made in Senator Jose Menendez, Senate Bill 90. That's 9-0. Uh, bringing us to four bills that we're working on. Of course, there are other pieces of legislation that we may be supporting, but those are the bills that really achieve what we're trying to accomplish and have a really great shot at making it this session. Now, I think there's been some pushback because there's still just, there's still a list and the list is pretty limited. Our you know, say this thing gets passed and they expand the compassionate use program, are we going to have to go back to the state legislator to add more qualifying conditions? The way that it's written into the two medical bills that we're supporting, there is a list of debilitating conditions that gets added to the law statutorily. But there's also a mechanism by which the department, the regulatory agency, would be able to add qualifying conditions on a a semi-annual basis. There would be a board created, a panel that would consider petitions from Texas patients that want to add conditions to the program. Uh, They would meet twice a year, consider the petitions, and decide if a qualifying condition should be added to the list. Okay. Well, that's that's promising. At least we don't have to wait two years for to add anything extra. 
Absolutely. I mean, it is just um, really unreasonable to expect patients to be waiting two years at a time to add conditions when research is happening so rapidly in this country. And we know that cannabis can be helpful to so many people. Now, say this thing passes, say we get, you know, House Bill 63, Senate Bill 156, House Bill 1365, and Senate Bill 90. How long is it going to take for this thing, this this ball to get rolling? Because like in Arkansas, Louisiana, they passed their programs two years ago and patients are still waiting. Well, you know, it takes time to go from prohibition to a regulated market. It takes time to uh, have regulators understanding the climate. You know, in a lot of these instances, you know, Texas is an example. When we established the Compassionate Use Program, the Department of Public Safety really knew nothing about cannabis other than throwing people in cages for possessing it. Mm-hmm. And they're having to learn about this plant, learn about best practices for regulation in other states, and make sure that the program gets rolled out in a, an effective way. So there's a lot to learn, and it takes time to do that and make sure that we do it right. The last thing that we'd want is a program to get rolled out so quickly that mistakes are made and and there are there are problems that really jeopardize the functionality of the program and the public support for it. So I appreciate what the folks here at DPS have done. If these bills are passed, though, they're going to get rolled out much faster than the original program because we already have the framework for it. So the bill would be effective in September of 2019. And soon after that, the department would have to pass rules and regulations, start issuing more licenses and allowing broader patient access. So there would be a little bit of a lag on that after the bill passes, which is standard for the enactment of legislation in Texas. Okay. And is there any, will it be up to DPS or whoever's in charge of this to determine how many licenses there's going to be issued for, you know, like growers, dispensaries, extractors, that sort of thing? Or is that going to be up to the governor? Well, in the current way that things are laid out, there is no statutory cap on the number of licenses that are issued. There's a mandatory minimum of three, which have already been issued. Mm -hmm. The way that the Department of Public Safety has said that they wanted to operate things was allowing the free market to work so that those who want to operate a business, if there's a market for that, if there is a patient base Mm -hmm. and they qualify for a license, then they would be able to get one. So we're hoping that that ends up being the case, but that comes down to having relationships with those in the department, making sure that we're staying vigilant as advocates, as business owners that want to see the market operate well. We have to be involved, uh, whether it's ourselves doing it or contributing to an advocacy organization that's doing it or hiring your own lobbyists to, to keep track of these things. You know, um, as an activist, the the term lobbyist sounds like a big, scary word. Right. Uh, but the bottom line is it's representation. And unfortunately, uh, you know, we see a market that's so heavily controlled by the government that every business has to have a lobbyist in order to uh, manage the market. Mm-hmm. And we have to have representation if we're going to have a market and a government that accurately reflects our values and reasonable regulation. And there's nothing that can substitute active and engaged individuals who care about this issue enough to put in their time, their money, their energy into making sure that things are done right in Texas. Now, say this thing passes, we get it all passed. Is it a possibility that the government could or the governor could veto it? There certainly is a chance of that. 
Uh, the governor is able to veto any bill that doesn't pass with a supermajority. So the only way we'd be able to avoid a veto is if we ended up with 75% favorable votes in both chambers. The Compassionate Use Act passed by that margin in 2015, and the governor had to sign the bill. Uh, so if we pass our bill by that margin, it could not be vetoed. If we don't, there is a chance that that could happen. The governor can also just ignore it into law, not make a big deal about it, and let it become law on its own, or he can sign it. Um, with or without a signing ceremony. So there are multiple ways the governor can handle this. I think that if our conservative legislature sends him a marijuana law reform bill, he is going to sign it. Uh, that's my feeling on the issue. I think that he's coming along very well, uh, considering the tremendous effort that's been put in by advocates, whether it's veterans, uh, parents of disabled children, caregivers, other medical professionals all coming forward and asking for his support over the last several years. And we're finally seeing some progress on the way that he considers this issue. Because he even said back in the fall that he would be open to decriminalization for low-level amounts, correct? He did say that on live TV. Wow. It was a very welcome uh, burst of momentum and energy for us. It was very um, gratifying or validating that what we're doing is working. Mm -hmm. So he's open to on decrim. He also said that advocates are making very compelling arguments on medical. So we need to keep up that pressure, keep sharing those personal stories yeah. and do it in a way that is, is polite and courteous. It's respectful and ensuring that we're really putting our best foot forward. You know, I uh, always am an advocate of professionalism because mm -hmm. this issue is just too important to too many people for us to give anything other than our very best effort. Yeah, I agree with that. If he vetoes it for some strange reason, is there any recourse or do you have to wait till the next legislative session and start all over from scratch? Uh, for the most part, we would probably have to start over from scratch. Um, if he vetoes it early enough in the session, there is some mechanism for recourse, but generally he'll stall and mm -hmm. veto it at a point that's later in that date. And that's just the strategy that he would take in order to make sure that we weren't able to do that. Okay. Well, I hope he doesn't have that up his sleeve. <laughs> Me too. I'm excited. I think it's very encouraging news. And, you know, it's it's sad that people have to leave our state in order to get medicine. I agree. I mean, it's really, it's unacceptable. I mean, Texans deserve to have the freedom to use a medicine that's going to work for them if their doctors think it's best. And to have people and families uprooting their lives and leaving to another state for more freedom yeah. than what we can provide in Texas, right? Um, there really is something wrong with that. And we have to get these laws changed. And thankfully, people now more than ever are coming forward. They're not afraid to share these experiences that they've had in other states. Uh, they're not afraid to talk about the fact that they engage in civil disobedience because their lives, their quality of life is more important than adhering to this bad, unjust law that deprives them of access to medicine. Uh, so I commend every advocate, whether it's a patient, a, a caregiver, a veteran, medical professional that are taking the time and maybe the risk even to coming out, talking about this issue in a way that's personal and, and meaningful, because that's exactly what moves the ball forward in this movement. Well, if someone wants to research and learn more about the bills that have been proposed. What's what's the best, where's the best place for them to go? 
Our website is texasmarijuanapolicy.org. We've got plenty of resources available there, including how to contact your legislators. We've got overviews of the legislation we're supporting. Uh, there's also ways where you can see all of the pending bills. Uh, the pending legislation tab on the top of our website will take you to an updated list as of 48 hours ago. I do need to get in there today to update this the new four or five bills that have been introduced. Wow. Uh, they're coming so rapidly, it's hard to keep up, but we're going to get that updated today. Tomorrow is the filing deadline. So at close of business tomorrow, we'll know exactly how many marijuana bills we're looking at. Mm -hmm. We'll be able to sift through, see where our priorities should be, and move forward on advocating for those bills. What about social media? Can anybody check y'all out on social media? Yeah, please do follow Texans for Responsible Marijuana Policy on Facebook. Uh, we're working with a broad coalition of organizations that span the political spectrum. And we're thrilled to be just working with so many folks that maybe disagree on some issues in politics, but are coming together on this issue, really demonstrating that it's about people. It's not about politics and getting caught up in that. Uh, we need to come together with our neighbors where we can. We're living in such incredibly polarized political times. Yeah. And where we can harmonize with our neighbors, find areas of agreement, it's so critically important that we do so. And marijuana policy is proving to bring people together in Texas. Yeah, that's the crazy thing. If you've, you've got people on both sides of the aisles standing shoulder to shoulder fighting for a change in this policy area. It's a beautiful thing, Rachel. I'll tell you what. I love seeing it. Yeah, it's awesome. You know, they, they, there's so much division and to see that that's something that, you know, a few years ago, I would have never thought that this could actually bring people together. That's right. That's right. If folks want to support your organization, is there some information on the website if they want to kind of throw some, you know, hopefully more than just a few pennies, but uh, kind of give you all some financial support? Because I, I know there's expenses related to being at the Capitol every single day. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And every bit counts. Uh, you know, you can make a donation on our website. Again, it's texasmarijuanapolicy.org. Uh, we put every bit of resources we have to great use. As grassroots organizers, we are pinch pinching pennies, finding cost-effective ways to uh, provide professional materials to lawmakers. We'd love to do video ad campaigns to make sure that legislators are hearing uh, from of this issue from their districts. Um, and all of the, the resources that we get go directly toward our efforts here in Texas at the state level. Uh, so rest assured, we are working to serve Texans in changing these bad laws we have on the books and advancing liberty in our state. That's great. I, I, I appreciate the hard work that you're doing. I, I know it's long hours and, you know, it may be a little thankless, but even if people aren't saying it, I, I personally am very thankful for the work that y'all are doing down there. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And we're so uh, grateful for all the support we're seeing uh, throughout the state, people being energized, feeling empowered, and really banding together to get these laws changed. Well, we'll put links to all your social media and webpage on the show notes page for today. And appreciate your time. Maybe the next time we talk, this thing will be legal and we'll be, you know, popping some bubbly. <laughs> yes, ma'am. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much. Thanks, Heather. Have a great rest of the week. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Heather and found what she shared today to be encouraging. If you'd like to learn more about Texans for Responsible Marijuana Policy, I encourage you to go out to their website, 
All of the resources mentioned on today's show can be found at www.cannabishealsme.com slash 16. If you're a cannabis advocate in Texas, this legislative session has been very exciting. With more than 40 bills introduced and encouraging feedback received during Monday's hearing, it really does appear as though decriminalization of small amounts of cannabis and an expansion of the Texas Compassionate Use Program could be on the horizon here. But beyond that, if you're a Texan that believes in states' rights and personal liberty, these proposals should excite you as well. The Lone Star State appears poised to tell the federal government that it is taking back control of its drug policies and that it believes medical decisions should be made between patients and their doctor, not bureaucrats in Washington, D.C., and even outside the state. The fact that Texas, the reddest of red states, is even considering decriminalization and expanding the medical use of cannabis to include THC, well, it could be a precursor of what's to come on the federal level. Thanks for listening, and be sure to tune in next week when we bring you another story about the healing power of the cannabis plant. Hit the subscribe button and you'll never miss an episode of the Cannabis Heals Me podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider leaving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or whatever podcast app you're using. Do you have a suggestion for a guest on Cannabis Heals Me? Send an email to podcast at CannabisHealsMe.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please do not take any information from Cannabis Heals Me or its guests as medical advice. Contact your licensed physician before taking cannabis or using it for medical treatments. 